From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It Podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and Carl Polichuk. Welcome to episode 135 of the Killing It podcast. And we are killing it live today. We literally have a live studio audience. We can't see them, but they can see us. Uh, and we have like 100 people registered. And so watch them in chat. And it's, it's good fun. So yeah, so so this might be a little bit different in case somebody throws up a chat that actually we pay attention to. But I think we're just going to mostly do a show. I, mostly i think that's 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 really <laughs> we'll do a show and then those if you missed this live and want to check it out you can go to killingitlive.com and you can catch the bonus fourth version will be available in the recording the both bonus fourth topic as well as uh you know a little you get to and, and before to before we dive in on all of our stuff uh it, it would be appropriate for the three of us to say uh kudos to technology and all of the people in the last year who have gone from begging your collaboration platform to record your audio and video and try to sync things up to where you can do stuff like this live from a laptop, from a different time zone on some questionable internet, and it all just freaking works. So <laughs> I, I would say industry-wide, nicely done, sirs and ladies. <laughs> well, we're going to do our, we'll do our question of the day. Uh, what was your favorite Halloween costume? as a child. So I have to say, I don't know uh, if everybody else has a favorite costume, but I do. So I have an aunt who used to work at a drapery factory. And so she would get all of these scraps of heavy, you know, drapery, thick drapery fabric, and she sewed. And I have five brothers. So there were a total of six of us. And one year she made us each clown outfits with hats and big you know clown thing different colors of fabrics super heavy very warm on a halloween night and you know we, we completely loved it i don't know how much my brother manny has a positive memory of this because he was sort of pressured to wear the hand-me-down clown outfits for the next five. Well, see, that, year, that, that, that was my question, Carl. Um, what was the age ranges of, of the folks that are that were involved there? I think the oldest at the time was probably 12. Uh, and, and the youngest is, you know, maybe uh, see, four. So, so, so you know, all, all still squarely <laughs> in the aggressively actively enjoying the heck out of a costume life stage right i, I will say uh, halloween costumes are not my my bag most years lately right that i i i see people who have these really creative interpretations and i am genuinely impressed because those things don't cross my mind the the one though that i did when i was i think i was 12 and i was I was Albert Einstein, but it came with a story, right? So it had the hair and it was going everywhere. But I was wearing a big fuzzy sweater because I grew up in Utah and, and Halloween's were freaking freezing every single year. So I was wearing a great big sweater <laughs> and the storyline was, uh, you know, I understand the mysteries of the universe and I can solve any equation you give me, but I can't figure out static electricity and and so it was albert einstein with the hair and a great big sweater and all kinds of socks 
clinging to me. So uh, not only was it warm, but it was it's, entertaining as well. It's clearly the theme because mine is homemade as well. My uh, parents built a two person for my best friend and I back when I was in like, you know, third grade of the General Lee, like nice. a big cardboard car that we walked around in. And we were it was a little bit more like cowboys, we had cowboy hats and stuff like that. But it had working uh, front lights with flashlights that you could turn nice. on. Now, it is one of those things where it's like, that has not entirely aged no. well. In terms of like a costume memory, it hasn't aged well. But I, but it's the homemade nature of it that really, uh, that really sort but of stands the, out. The advanced, right. the advanced well, I, I, Halloween has become my favorite holiday, you know, and Sacramento actually has a, a store in Old Town that is year-round. It's a four-story costume shop. If you ever need a Halloween outfit, you can buy it in May. Just come to Sacramento, I'll buy you a beer, and then we'll go down to Evangeline's. Well, that is big business, but guess who else is big business? Our sponsor, Cisco. Thank you for having uh, putting this, enabling this today. Did you know Cisco helps manage services providers directly? Know about the Cisco Partner Program? Focused on helping partners combine managed services expertise and service creation with innovative Cisco technology, and proven go-to-market resources, there's a program option for you. With provider pricing, MDF, and marketing resources, coupled with Cisco's leading technologies, including Meraki, Duo, and Umbrella, learn more with the link right in the show notes. And thank you to Cisco for letting us do this live. Yeah, I mean, made possible by Cisco. So we totally shout out to them. <clears throat> so first topic today, um, is a revisit kind of I, I wanted to do sort of a what's going on two years later with the contract for the web and I have to say and we'll put a link down below to the contract for the web um, and you know they they made this big announcement two years ago and there's nine major components but basically with the government they wanted governments of the world to ensure access and privacy uh, they wanted corporations to encourage um, you know, the best of human behavior and discourage the worst. Uh, and for, for actual citizens, they encourage people to be creators and to be collaborators and basically use the internet the way it was intended to be used. And I have to say, two years later, I'm a little disappointed. They've had just a handful of blog posts and I don't know that the world is any better on transparency and participation and collaboration and bringing out the best in people. I think that's <laughs> it's probably the biggest failure. On the other hand, you know, even today, if you start looking at stuff for Contract of the Web, almost everything is related to their announcement and not to what they're doing. So they're trying to put together a new get together and make an announcement next month. So go to their website and sign up for that. But uh, I hope they do better in the next two years than they did in the last well, two years. So let's highlight that this is how policy influences. So if you, if you want to be a policy influencer, right, you set up a policy think tank and your job is to then publish, publish, publish and promote, promote, promote. And they did publish and then they stopped, right? And the next bit is the promote, the promote, promote. If you're a policy thinker, the reason you write white papers, the reason you put this stuff out and then is that to try and influence thinking, you've got to be participating in doing the rest of this. I love, I still love these ideas two years later. I still think they're Absolutely, right. I love and the I, ideas. And I still think, I've made the case of you could do consulting around building stuff here. 
but as a policy group, they're not doing a great, particularly great job in getting their stuff out there, particularly when there is actually growing realization of the importance of that. Sundar Pichai was out talking this week asking for privacy regulations in the U.S., and he wants a federal level one because of the need to ease the complexity of 50 different little regulations around this. That work should be linked. Where is the policy statements coming out from Contractor of the Web to link this to be part of the discussion? They're not doing their bit there. Well, and, and to, to that point, um, there are some positive examples of people who are A, doing the right thing, and B, asking for more participation in legislation, regulation, transparency, etc. And then there are the others who are actively fighting against it, right? At the very same week that, uh, that Google comes out and says, you know, there might actually be a reason why we need something beyond self-regulation at the industry level. And, and they're requesting people to participate and, and put some guardrails around communication standards and privacy and data security and so forth. I, I buy that. But the very same week, our friends over at Facebook, the, the scuttlebutt now is that they're going to uh, they're, they're going to change their name a la Alphabet over Google and all of their other brands. Uh, but basically, it's because they they want to be thought of as more than just that nasty place where people go to say angry things to strangers. And they want <laughs> to be known more for the metaverse and all of the things that they're going to be working on. I don't think in a connected world that just a simple rebranding exercise is enough to address some of the bad behavior that's gone well, on out there. So I think we have to call that stuff out. The nine principles in in the original contract for the web, brilliant, effective, uh, and again, written by the guy who kind of invented this thing. So I take it extra seriously. Um, but... Uh, the world's not yet bought in on these things, so we have to. Well, hold that. on. So, so Ryan, this I want to. You brought up branding, and I want to bring up two elements of that. The first is Facebook. I love to slam dunk on them, right? Because it's easy. But a rebrand in that case actually makes some sense for them because they have a bunch of products in sure. name. WhatsApp is a different product. Oculus is a different product. They're trying to get the portal line off the ground. Like having a holding company above it from a branding perspective actually does separate Facebook, the product, the blue app, from the company, which is a smart Which would be very company. smart, except if that's the Le only thing they do and they don't actually improve their oh. transparency and security. Topic, topic, for, topic for another day. <laughs> what, what this, what, what, what this my, my branding point on this is, is this is where why my criticism of Contract of the Web is, is like, look, you got to get off your tail and you got to do the marketing bit. You can't... You just because you publish something, if you're not out there talking about it, pushing it, advocating for it, it's going to die on the vine. And I have to say, what I was hoping that they would do, and I and maybe they're working on this in the background, I was hoping that they would do kind of a thumbs up, thumbs down report. Like I would like to say, looking back, that the European Union has done more to encourage privacy than almost anybody else. On the corporate side, I would say Apple gets a big thumbs up in 2021 for their new privacy policy. Uh, you know, maybe even the Congress of the United States just for putting, for turning up some heat <laughs> on the burner uh, gets a thumbs up, but Facebook gets a thumbs down, right? I think that there are clear winners and losers I am glad to see there's more discussion of transparency. I think you're going to see a lot more of that. But 
I point to Apple and the European Union and even the U.S. government more for that than for the contract of, well, for the web. So, and it's a, and it's a know. shame too because by the way, there's a, there's always the argument for like, well, industry will lead, right? Okay, the industry did throw out a, a, a message out there. Uh, and by the way, from a guy who we, I mean, he's Sir, right? Sir Timber. <laughs> like, right, and, sir. Like, sir. And, but by the way, to Ryan's point, like when Ryan said he's the creator of this thing, we all perk up when he speaks. He's using, he's, at some level, he's using the microphone. Just well, but enough, that's the thing, like, right? Not enough actually. I think effective. there's a, well, not to toot Carl's horn again too much because I often do that, but um, uh, I think that there's a roadmap for how we can participate in what happens next. If Sir Berners-Lee uh, is busy and has other things going on, um, there's this there's this group called the National Society of IT Service Providers that is giving us a blueprint for how you see something out there that makes you uh, either nervous or angry, or you, you feel passionate about something that needs to be done, get involved, participate, do something about this. I would argue that the audience listening to this program every week is exactly the audience that needs to participate in the level of let's go do something tangible with the contract for the web, because I don't think, I don't think the government's going to move fast enough. I think it needs to be a groundswell that comes from solution providers. Well, as, as uh, an old man who uh, was involved with the internet for decades before they called it that, there was a time when we had a thing called RFCs, requests for comments. And these, you know, it sounds very informal, but they were these lengthy, sophisticated documents that got us things like DNS and, you know, the IP stack and so forth. And the web comes literally from that tradition when everything was open and you know you could enter a command and see everything about a com particular computer and all the users and their addresses and all well, that by, happy stuff by the way the world has changed considerably and tim Berners-Lee knows that and i think he's he he wants to put it back in the right direction I just think there needs to be more action and less just look. Manner. Plug, plug, plug. I cover cover RFCs from the government all the time on business of tech. Like the FCC is constantly asking for input and stuff like that. So like so so that that is a space that is to be explored. So you know, but I I think I think our our uh, you know as we're wrapping it is is like a, two years later. You you want to you got to shrug a little bit more than I'd yeah, want. Yeah, two years. <laughs> so to give just, them a B. Two years later, we don't have the progress that we should have had. Uh, if we want to like spark a really controversial conversation, uh, I'm going to vote for a further application of transparency and indicate that I think Carl's point is exactly on target. Everybody ought to use their real name on the internet. You can say whatever you want out there on any of these forums. Just use your real name and then uh, see how behavior changes. Ooh. Oh, a topic for another time. But see if you get the hell beat out of you. <laughs> I know. But out of time on that one. So on to topic two. Uh, I love this one. Has the dream of AI died, faded, evolved? Because uh, I was gripped by an article where, where this idea of maybe losing the uh, AI race to China isn't as bad as we make it out to be. And that's also coupled with another article from ZDNet with it that approaches it saying even computer experts think ending human oversight is a very bad idea. Basic premise, if we give up our morals and ethics to win an AI race, is that worth it? And this was just 
so up my alley in terms of ethics and <laughs> and standards around it. his basic idea is, is is that with all this focus on getting first with ai if we do it without any forethought simply to win a war or, you know win a war have we not actually lost well it's interesting because you know for the last two years that we've been doing this podcast the ethics of AI has been a consistent theme of ours. Like we, you know, we look at AI and we say, okay, but police departments shouldn't do this or, but we don't want facial recognition to do that. Um, there are very few technologies where the question of ethics absolutely has to be at the top. Like literally question number one, does this fit with an ethics review committee? It's almost like, AI needs to be like um, the, the psychology experiments that need to be approved by a committee. Um, and man, turning it over to China, in some ways it's like, uh, I don't wanna lose to China. On the other hand, if it means that we put ethics an inch above AI, I'm okay to be in second place well, to China. And we'll That's see, and on that, on that point, I think the essence of AI, because it's dealing with intelligence uh, to the degree that, that machines can do that, it has to be about ethics first. If we sacrifice ethics in the spirit of functionality with this kind of technology, then you know what the initial applications are going to be. They will not be making the world a better place. They will be exploiting things for power and profit because that is what the initial motivation of all of these things are. Right now, uh, ask yourself a question. What are the industries that first exploit any new technology, right? If we looked at the internet, if we looked at video on the internet, if you look at some of these uh, these advancements that happen in our industry, the uh, the business application of technology is never the first leading thing. It, it might be a video game. It might be um, just a, a social media platform. Might might be the porn industry. Those guys seem to be really early adopters of of all these new technologies. I don't think this is an area where we can possibly afford to put functionality ahead of ethics. There are some interesting use cases on AI that are coming to the fore. There, there's all this phenomenal promise. There's actually some cool, cool things coming up. I'm okay going slow if it means making sure that we do it ethically. Well, it's funny because Ray said, Ray said in chat what I was thinking. Intelligence without ethics is not intelligence. Now, I want to, I want to, uh, play a little bit of, of the angle of the, of the race and the competitiveness here in my thinking, because what got me a little bit was, is the like, okay, so let's, let's project out the worst case scenarios, what I can see for losing this battle, right? Okay. China invents Skynet. We all die. All right. Well, that sucks. So now I'm going to, now I'm going to dial it down, right? I'm going to dial it down. <laughs> Right now might be good, but I'm going to dial it down a little bit because that's bad for them, right? So I'm, if I'm looking for a version which is like victory for them, what is, you know, what is this idea of them putting themselves in a dominant place where they like, I don't know, con you know, control our minds? I can't figure out a version that looks like that. I can't figure like they already control the supply chain, right? Like, I mean, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out a version where, where this framing of a race makes it worthwhile. And actually, I the, this made me think of. I'm struggling with that. I'm struggling with this idea that it is a complete and total zero sum game of somebody has to get there first. 
we're we should build the best version of for us in our society and play on those bits because you so, know and win that way along those lines though i i have to say one of the things that ryan missed early adopters of any new technology are frequently governments who abuse the technology right they they say oh here's a thing that's completely not regulated and let's see how far we can implement this to monitor our citizens do whatever and they're an inch ahead of legislation and then people come along and say well you can't do that you know and then they get regulated and so then they they step back that is true of our government that is true of western governments that is true of china and and russia right and so part of what's going on is if they win this war they you know they get to do whatever they want and we've seen ai from the russian perspective uh mucking up facebook getting people to argue with each other right for no apparently good reason whatsoever well, so you know it to, to come in second and say uh now all we have to do is try to develop ai to fight well, their ai <laughs> try try to find ai that will will soften the blow see, the if thing, you Carl, will. you're 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 spot on the first application of any new technology is to figure out how can I use it as a weapon, right? How can I use it to hurt other people? That's obviously something that would be public and we would be paying attention. I hope we would be paying attention and, and trying to mitigate those things. But I, I believe I was sitting on a train a couple of years ago, riding from Beijing down to Shanghai and on the uh, on the entry door and then on the seat back in every seat in the train, there was a little poster and it was written in English as well as in Chinese that reminded you of your responsibilities under the social scoring system. And if you played music too loud, if you ate durian, if you uh, did things that were a offensive to anybody on that train, it could have material impact on your life. I'm not okay with that idea being engineered into AI. If the robot is here to scold me for free speech, if it's here to prevent me from behaving in a way that is otherwise acceptable in Western societies, uh, that's not okay because they don't have the, the robot won't have any tolerance for yes, but let me argue my point and justify my position. You either get turned on or you get turned off in that situation. I think those stakes are really high. Well, this, this is also why, um, you know, the, this, again, the idea of ending human oversight in AI is a very, very bad idea is unless we have insight into what's going on with the processes, very bad things can happen. Oh, and by the way, we've had several conversations about the inherent bias any algorithm brings based on the designer's you know, view of the world, unintentional, even unintentionally. And well, so, you know, so, so the, I, I think I, I'm gonna, my argument here is going to be is, is, look, in the end, it may take us longer to get there, but openness will build a better version of the, of the AI in the long run that ends up with more consistent, better results that we can agree on and that we can we can use through transparency. It may take us longer, but I'd rather do it right because it'll end up in a better place. So final note, and then we have to move on. And I would just say, I think we're an inch away from discovering that Facebook, for example, has got 
the exact same kind of technology going on that the Chinese government does. And that if you're not a good Facebook citizen participating in this way, participating in that way, then all you get to see is uh, is the horrible side of the Internet. You so, drop anyway. that bomb in the last 10 seconds of the topic. <laughs> I was going to say just it's, it's my early prediction for 2022 yeah, say, crap, that explains why i only see bad stuff on that platform they figured me out <laughs> all right so topic number three then as we jump into this uh, again a, re a revisit of a topic that i'm very passionate about uh the idea is smart cities and in the show notes we're linking to an article from our friends over at axios where they're talking about some tangible improvements and some real use cases for smart city technologies uh, a headline data point that pops up in the article the amount of data that you and i generate just by being in the world i mean we all admit that our cell phones are following us and we are being videotaped or recorded in in a thousand different ways whenever you go outside but if we could harness that data use it for traffic management, use it for public safety, use it for resource allocation and for bringing in the kinds of services that cities are intended to provide. I think that's really, really good. 16.5 zettabytes of data from not, not the, the files and the things that you create, not the documents that you email back and forth, public data just based on you and I being out there in the world, 16.5 zettabytes. Now, A, there's got to be some insights that we can use to improve society, and B, it's a really good time to be in the storage industry because, dang. I was, I was so thinking the former <laughs> storage sales guy is immediately going to go, sell them some Holy storage. Cow. It's funny because I actually had, I had a microcosm version of the 5G uh, version of this just this past weekend. So I went to the Caps game, the hockey game uh, on, on Saturday night. It was so much fun to be back in a hockey game. But but what was there were two data points that hit me from that. The first was that I was sitting with a good friend and we both played the game of I have my 5G phone, he has his 4G phone, and we both did a speed test sitting next to one another. Nice. He got 1.4 megs down and I got... 350 megs down <laughs> sitting next to one another in the in capital one arena that by the way i think he's going to go buy a new phone uh but, but that couple that with the fact that the nhl has just finished enabling doing rfid enablement on jerseys and the puck and all of that to actually do much better stat analysis on the game and offer that kind of stuff in real time and it hit me that element of like oh wow uh all the bits are there, right? We can smart everything. There's enough. I got enough bandwidth. My buddy didn't, but it, but there's enough bandwidth here. And he legitimately asked the question. He goes, "Are we going to just start throwing devices directly on the internet?" Yeah. Why not? Yes. Why, why wouldn't you? Why you don't need to build necessarily a private network because you can get 300 megs, 300 gigs down. Like it, it's the uh, so that's the element of coming together that says. Yeah, you've got all the pieces to build this and make better decisions. Hockey's a great microcosm version of that, right? Because you've got the environment. We can now watch all of the interactions. They can do the analysis. Now spread that out to smart cities. It's why it's like this is pretty obvious that we're getting to the point of, oh, yeah, they're going to enable all of this stuff in order to, to make it smarter and faster. Well, and the explosion of IoT, so this... I'll skip to the, the conclusion, which is what does all this have to do with IT service providers? Go get your share of the gold rush 
because cities are buying IoT devices by the millions. I mean, we see it like the little stuff like, uh, you know, we can track the traffic anywhere in the entire city. We have all these devices all over the place, but they're doing the same thing with sewage systems, with electrical systems, right? There's all of this stuff. The When you were talking about the data, I love the, uh, you know, the, the notice that it was about 250 million times as much as a 64 gig iPhone. Now, I don't know why that has to be an iPhone, but 64 gig anything. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, when you talk about petabytes, nobody understands that. Nobody actually understands 250 million times something. All we know is it's really, really, really big. And, you know, if you know anybody who's 18, just encourage them to learn our programming and big data and go into business with that or AI because well, I'm gonna, your salary is going to be gonna three times mine. Up, I'll tee up Ryan because I, but, but I, I just reported on a, a new study that actually shows that IoT spending is expected to outpace cloud spending in terms of growth over the next two to three years. Part of that is also because the, well, we've made some of the investments in cloud. Like a lot of people have started building that. So the growth area, the next area is all of this smart device enablement in IoT. And I'm, I'm right there with you, Carl. It's like, go get them their money. <laughs> like like that, that is such well, an opportunity. Also, you know, early in the pandemic, remember we had all these stories of kids who would like find some public database and say, hey, we can use this as a surrogate for tracking the virus, right? This kind of stuff. There's so much juicy goodness to come from the public side well, of this data to be able to say, here's how traffic is moving. Here's how people are moving. Here's how things are well, moving. And, and, and no, you're, you're, you're going exactly in the right direction for us and for our, our audience and our industry. I, I can think of four levels of participation in this process. Number one, the cities are buying all of this technology and A, somebody needs to sell that to them and also integrate, implement those devices. So there's a tremendous product and technology sales opportunity. There is a systems integration opportunity that is never going to end because if there's one thing we can predict about smart cities is that that didn't change the smartness level of the people who run cities. Uh, just because they got more devices and technology doesn't mean that they carefully think out the the integration of systems right the the third level is going to be on the infrastructure and the back end whether that's networking the data storage the actual processing the crunching of all of this information and then the fourth one because again this is public data there's got to be a layer of security and privacy associated with all of these things i am all for public data being used to improve the flow of traffic and improve the performance of utility systems and water systems, etc. But if it comes with you being able to identify me and attach me to my movements out there in the city, uh, now I'm curious about who's going to be viewing that data on the other side. And I got a real problem. With See, that. I have to say, so I agree with you. But I have to say, if I could make a deal with my insurance company that says, track me, plug into all the public data, and you'll know where I'm going around town, you'll know how fast I drive, you'll know whether or not I run red lights, like you'll be able to see my lifestyle is one that deserves a lower insurance <laughs> you mean, premium. You mean like Tesla's doing in Texas? I mean, oh, literally, that's literally what me, they're the doing little, in Texas in terms of- The little plug-in device that you can get from one or more of your insurance providers that goes into that slot in your car 
that is exactly what they are doing. Oh, let us track you. And right. but, but it's not the same as plugging it into Correct. the data that's being collected by exactly. the smart city. And that's, that's no, the... I own a BMW and I go too fast. I do not want exactly. that Exactly. See, but that's <laughs> the other layer. So, so you opt out and that opt out, out, out. It cost you $200 in premium to uncheck this, the this box. This is the gold rush season so. though, right? For everybody to get involved, uh, <laughs> you need to be selling these kinds of capabilities. You need to be tracking these systems and doing the integration. You need to be able to manage the infrastructure and get paid for the cybersecurity associated with all of this. But it begins with an idea, right? Carl, you touched on it. It yeah, begins it, with, well, what could we do with this stuff? And is it actually uh, viable in my city? I can't imagine that we've even scratched the surface on what is possible with all those devices and data. Right. And by the way, Dennis, Dennis brought up a very interesting point around the fact that, like, you know, cost of doing business with the government is is different. Right. You know, they, they, there's potential for more lawsuits. There is, you know, and, and my statement is, is that that's a different. It's just you need to understand the businesses. I don't think there's any bad business. I mean, there are a few. Right. But like but as a general rule, it's just the rules of the games are different. You got to understand which one is where you want to play to make your money. Sadly, that will do it for episode 135 of the Killing It, Killing it! podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.